the truth. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. Yeah, man, it really tied the room together. Don't judge me, Rocky. You're a wizard, Harry. Why so serious? Here's Johnny! Welcome to episode 13 of Lords of Film. Yeah, we are still doing Lords of Film podcast. It's been a little while. Well, welcome to this next episode. I am your host, Justin Shalen. Before we get into this episode, we're going to have an amazing guest talk about Superman Returns, uh, his career, and the, the future of the DC Cinematic Universe. we got to take care of some business. Make sure that you follow this podcast at Lords of Film. Hit up our... Our podcast, Australian on Batman. This is our podcast too. Yeah, this we is, have two. We have two. Follow our podcast. Yes. Hit Do up it. our Facebook page, Shailen on Batman. Hit up our Twitter page for Shailen on Batman at Shailen on Bat. Uh, you can find us on every single iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, uh, Podbay, anything that holds podcasts. We are most likely gonna be on, even though I just said we were on everything. We're on on almost everything. What do you mean everything? Everything. <laughs> So make sure that you're doing that, and before we get into the show... Make sure you go to the website, www.shanleyandonbatman.com, as well as www.podcastempirenetwork.com. So let's get into this episode of Lord's Film. On today's episode, we have a guy who's done a lot of amazing film work. He's an actor's actor. Uh, He uh, did an audition with Chuck Norris for Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, he found out that Chuck and he Norris, survived. Yes, <laughs> he survived. He survived. Uh, he was. Uh, uh, he auditioned for the role of Clark Kent, aka Kal El, aka Superman, for Brian Singer Superman Returns. Welcome to the show, Rick Shue. Rick, welcome to the show, man. What got you into acting? Like, what was the spark in your life? When did it happen for you? And you're like, that's what I want to do. When I was five years old, I would reincarnate the uh, Popeye, Robin Williams Popeye movie, and Superman 2. And I could do those films, I swear, guys, verbatim, word for word, beginning to end, and I would act them out in my my backyard. And um, I guess it just sort of stuck with me. I I enjoyed that more than playing with toys. It used to frustrate my parents. They would buy me toys. I wouldn't play with them. (laughs) It was a waste of money because I was just using my imagination, which is the antithesis of what kids do today, damn it. That's old man talk there. (laughs) But um, that's kind of where it started. And I'll I'll never forget in the eighth grade, it was like career day. And you were supposed to stand up and say what you wanted to be when you grew up or whatever. And I stood up and I was like uh, an actor. And I was mocked and ridiculed by a few. And then... um, but you know, it was what it, it, it just, just it was true. I said it, and, and after that, after that moment of kind of, uh, it was cathartic for me. I was like, now I can, I can talk about this in a more sensible way because I just said it out loud in front of a bunch of, you know, young punks from Mesquite, Texas, in 1987. And if I can survive that. I can survive anything. <laughs> did you now? <laughs> did when you when you were wanting to be an actor did you emulate like chris reeve or marlon brando was there an actor that you just like man if i could ever uh look up to someone as you know as like an art like student because that's what pretty much acting is is like it's like creating your own art your own you know like you're trying to paint a like a paint like a painting with a brush or like these broad strokes of how you want to like really you know, act. Was there was there a character or an, or an actor that you really like? Man, if I could be anything like him, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've never been asked that question before. So here's here's the answer. I think as a as a young kid, it was more about the character. So I wanted to be Popeye. I wanted to be Superman. I and this is, sounds weird, but I actually talked about this on our 18 year anniversary Batman on Film podcast yesterday. We were talking about TV shows that we grew up with. And I said, you know, I was into Cheers when I was little. And I mean, I was like emotionally invested in the Sam and Diane story in like the second grade because I had a sister. I have a sister older than I am. And she just sort of got me into pop culture at a, a you know, at, a, at an immature age. But anyway, I remember I wanted to be Sam alone. Right. That's and awesome. then and then later you start to realize, first of all, you understand the detachment of fantasy and reality. That's one. That's the first thing that happens. And then secondly, once that does take place. Then you start looking at the actual artist. And I think the first person that I really wanted to be to emulate as an artist, and I never reached it and I never will, by the way, but it's John Malkovich. 
And I saw an actual um, like PBS low budget production of uh, True West, Sam Shepard's True West. And it was uh, John Malkovich and Gary Sinise. And Malkovich just chews up the screen in every moment he's on film, which, by the way, incidentally, is the entire thing because the play is basically just two brothers in their apartment. So, uh, or one of the brothers' apartments, not theirs. But so John Malkovich was that first actor that I think just, I went, I want to be that kind of actor, not that character per se. So I would have to give that to to Malkovich. He's still badass, by the way. Oh yeah, he's awesome. I'd love to see him like as, like he'd be a pretty cool Riddler or Penguin. Like, yes. Um, now, I, I wish he would have been, I, I said this years ago, I said, I hope no one uses him. In some capacity, but uh, obviously, once Dark Knight Rises wrapped, I knew that wasn't going to happen. He would have been a cool if they were to if they would have went like an older Scarecrow. He would have been a really cool Jonathan Crane or a Hugo Strange. I feel yeah, ooh yeah, he would have. Um, Malkovich, Hugo Strange, Nolan version. Dude, yeah, that, I'm, I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you now did you get a job first, or did you go to acting school? How did like what was your first big break as an actor? Well, here's it's here's what's funny. So I was um, my senior year at University of North Texas as a theater major, and I was, you know, I was going to get my degree and then go off to grad school and get an MFA and be a teacher. I didn't want to be a, I did not want to be a theater teacher in high school. I didn't want to have those restrictions of public school and the PC stuff, right? Right. Um, after college, I did a, a to come full circle on this. I actually did a showcase with a friend, and we did True West at the Pocket Sandwich Theater in Dallas, and it was just basically. As a favor for him, it was a showcase for actors to try to get agents. That's not why I did it. He just needed a, a screen partner. Well, once I once it was over, I guess I impressed this lady, Linda McAllister, who give a shout out. She's still my agent to this day. She um, she walked over to me afterwards and she said, "You need to be auditioning for film." And I said, "Okay, well, whatever." And so, like two days later, I went on like a Texas Walker Ranger uh, audition and read for Chuck Norris. And then I had all these actors going, "Dude, I've been trying to get an audition for that show for years," and you just rolled right in. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It was a weird process for me because I never had any intention of going into film. Um, but that's what happened. So the rest is history. I never went to grad school, by the way, and um, became a professional bartender, <laughs> pursuing pursuing the dream but that was it and then i booked a big i booked a national chili's commercial shortly after that and over a course of about six months i think i made close to 15 grand on residuals and i went yeah i can get used to this right now and i I can name drop that money because that was in the 90s (laughs) and i don't i'm not making you know acting now is more of a passionate hobby because i have a career and kids and everything so but I still do it. I still love it. So when you met Chuck Norris, did you ask him, hey, can you like push the ground down when you're doing a push up? I, I did. I was like, so <laughs> when you jump into the lake, you don't get wet. The lake is Chuck Norris. <laughs> <laughs> did Perfect. You, now, did you, was that a reoccurring role on Chuck? Did you, did the Chuck? I did, I, yeah. No. So I, no, I booked, it's funny because I didn't book that episode, but I did book one and uh, it was just a guest star. But my scene was cut, and I tried forever to get the footage for just like a demo reel, and I never did. Because oh. my mom and sister are huge Walker Texas Ranger fans. Damn if it. she, if my mom or sister knew, like, I know someone who was on Walker Texas. What? what? <laughs> yeah, it was it was huge for us in Dallas. And then you know, a couple of years ago, Tom Hanks's son was here doing a show, and it was a cop buddy show. I read for that several times. I never booked it. It didn't last, and it was unfortunate because it was actually. It was cool to see sets around the Big D again. You know, you're going down Greenville Avenue, which is a, you know, like a Sunset Boulevard or whatever. You know, just that part of Dallas, bars and restaurants and clubs, and you know, it would be shut down. And Tom Hanks' sons out there, and they're shooting like, ah, oh, I miss this. And you, you would see this all the time with Walker, and you know, I, the first time I really saw Dallas on the scene, I remember when Oliver Stone shot. Um, oh man, I'm gonna go blank. Talk radio. Oh yeah. He shot, he shot talk radio in Dallas. Yeah. And then they shot a lot of uh, Born on Fourth of July here as well. So it's got it. There's a scene here in Texas. It's it's really split between Dallas and Austin and a little bit of Houston. But it used to be really big, and most of it now has what was here. And I say here, I'm in presently in Dallas for those listening. It moved to New Mexico. So like Santa Fe and its surrounding areas is kind of like the new Dallas Austin of uh, a film. It's interesting. So do you? Uh... 
when you go into like audition for a role, like what's what's your what's your routine for that? Are you like a kind of just go in and throw it down Rick shoe style or do you, is there like a big preparation period? You got to like psych yourself up for something or how do you, how do you go about that? Well, you know, some, so many of the auditions now that I get to do, uh, you know, I get to read for, for major network shows all the time. But the, the great thing about modern day technology is that you don't really have to travel anymore. Agents are now really seriously looking at submissions via email and postings on the agent site and what have you. So to answer that question, I get a, kind of a an advantage of preparation these days because I'll get a, I'll get sides. Obviously, I won't see the whole episode, but I'll get sides, and they'll say, "Hey, this is the scenes you're reading for," and then here's some uh, people that can that can schedule you to put it on on tape. I'm like, awesome. So the, I'm paying these people to tape my audition for, to send to the casting directors, so I can go in and say. I'm going to throw you a little extra money if I'm having a shit day and we're going to keep doing this till I like it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so that, that part's cool. It's, it's, it's a little, I know probably pisses people off that don't have an opportunity to do that. If they hear this going, that's bullshit. <laughs> no, it is what it is in an audition. Like, well, if you're on a set, you get a lot of takes. Why not an audition? Right. But, um, but to dive more into that question, I used to really consider myself a, a method actor. And then I realized that so much of that is, can be artsy fartsy nonsense. And, and I almost hate using that phrase, but it's just kind of true. I, I had a buddy, Grant James, a good friend of mine, and uh, he worked on um, Tombstone. And he's the guy that plays the doctor of uh, Val Kilmer. And okay, he's like, awesome. you've got to get rest. You know, that guy, if you've seen it. And then later he's pulling the bullet out of Paxton. Yeah. That's him. Yeah, that's that guy. He's a, he's a real good friend of mine. He lives here in Dallas, actually. He was telling a story about being on the set of uh, with Val Kilmer. And he walked up to him and he said, listen, I just think that uh, Willow is one of your most underrated performances. And I just people don't talk about it enough. And Val Kilmer looks at him, squints his eyes and just says, Doc knows nothing about Willow. <laughs> Went back to sipping his coffee and he was like, what a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> you don't have to be that way to act. And, uh, you know, if you've got people like Gary Oldman, who's like, I have, I have buddies that worked with him and he's like the exact opposite of that. He'll be really into character. And as we know, this guy's like a complete chameleon and one of my heroes in, in film as well. And then right when they say, and cut, he's like, oh, so anyway, I was, <laughs> I was painting this broad in Vegas or whatever, you know, and, it's just, he's, and he's just like the exact opposite. So for me, I, I take it seriously. I, I like looking at a script analytically and saying, what can I do here? I, I want to, that word I want to put emphasis on, even though it doesn't say it, and it sort of changes the dynamic of what he's doing here. And so I love playing with stuff like that. And I learned a lot of that from actually Chris Walken, who said the first thing he does when he gets a script, he gets rid of all the all the connection, you know, he gets rid of the exclamation points and the periods and the commas, they just go away and kind of makes it his own. I do that. And because he told me to do that on uh, inside the actor studio, I'm in my, I'm sitting on my couch. I was like, you just told me to do that. That's awesome. And I did it, and it's amazing how many things will come to life. Yeah, um, that's cool. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. Awesome. So, so I hear like I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff, and something that I've been interested in lately is the uh, is the callback thing because I hear a lot of like I did I do these auditions and I don't even expect the callback, you know, and like at first it was just this huge letdown to me, but now I just take it for what it is i didn't get the call back it's not a big deal like how, how does that affect your life like when you when you don't get that call back and what is that feeling when you actually do get the call back like what runs through your head so yeah as far as the callbacks go that's a good question you know when i was when i was pursuing acting as a career like and don't get me wrong if you know if oliver stone called me tomorrow i want to be the be a lead in this film i'd drop everything i was doing and do it with the support of my wife i might add but um callbacks were, I mean, they were devastating and they were kind of like a lose, lose. Like yeah. if you didn't get it, you were just so depressed. And if you did get it, then you're freaking the F out. <laughs> and you know, it's just, it was so unhealthy, but I'll never forget getting a callback for this. I was actually in LA for an ABC pilot. And, um, I was, that was probably the most nerve wracking thing ever. It was like, here I am. I'm in, I'm in West Hollywood going to this audition and it's for an ABC network sitcom and oh my gosh what that could do to my career uh, first of all it would create a career that doesn't exist you know right that's the first thing 
and you're and it just all that and it just starts to really it's a head game and so now these days and i don't really have any advice for actors on that other than just get a grip chill out and you're not going to book a job if you go in that way just just take the take the material seriously go and do the best you can do and don't get yourself all wrapped up in that crap because it'll, it'll consume you now these days um what's really awesome is when you get in really uh, good with a casting director like joanna bolden if you guys were to look her up you would see her credentials i'm on i'm on a first name basis with her when she's casting anything i go in and read for the director or producer i don't do the preliminary audition for her anymore i don't have to and so in a sense it's a callback but it's your first audition and that is gold i mean that is because that initial audition if it's just the casting director all that is is a filtering process so she'll approve you to get in front of the person who's actually going to make the decision and then from there the callbacks relate again so it skips one pro one audition which is awesome because they're they're not fun i mean you know the audition process is meant to be it's meant to be um, a kick in the nuts um because it you, you to, in, in order for you to to earn that role man you have to kind of go through hell and back to get it whatever it is it could be anything i mean I, for that chili's commercial i talked about earlier I, I drove to austin from dallas like four times of that damn thing and and i i'm peeling lettuce and i look at a girl singing a baby back ribs commercial and i just say so what else you got that's it four trips yeah. <laughs> yeah. four trips for that and 200 people probably read for that or at least probably 100 it's nuts wow so in your career, has there ever been any moments where you wish you had maybe gone about it a different way? Like maybe you improv something and you wish you had not or something along the lines there. Like, is there, is there a moment where you wish you had done something differently? Oh yeah, of course. So, uh, not Dr. T and the women, not that film. I'm, I'm trying to think of this Kevin Spacey film with this person on death row. What was that called? Dang. That was, uh, probably like 2002, somewhere in there. I'm going blank on the name of the film, but it may, it may come to me. Um, same director as Mystic Pizza. Also, I'm going blank on his name, but I just remember he directed Mystic Pizza also. So anyway, I have uh, it's down to just me and this other person. And this guy was from L.A. and I was an Austin actor for my Austin agent. And um, we were we were sitting. We were, it's like that that thing you kind of picture in your head where you're sit, literally sitting next to the person. It's down to the two of you. And you're like, good luck, man. It was the final audition. And I just remember everything i did going into that final moment and that was four previous auditions and by the way this was joe in the bold and the aforementioned casting director uh, everything was naturalistic um i was i played with the script and made things come to life and just made a really just made a lot of great choices and then when i saw the guy like actually physically sat down next to him knowing that it's down to him here i and he was so quirky and i'm tall and back then i was pretty buff um, so I'm like 6'3", 210 pounds and in great shape. Not right now, by the way, still 6'3", but <laughs> the, re the rest is, is in my rearview mirror. But, uh, anyway, and he was just so perfect for the part and I just knew it and I shouldn't have known it because damn it, it's not me to say that. And so, and then ultimately it became a, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy when he booked it. I was like, I just knew it. I knew he was perfect, but I look back on it saying, I knew it was per, I went in with that attitude as opposed to going and saying, no, damn it, I'm perfect for this. That's why I'm here. I didn't do that. And that, that could have been a game changer. I may have booked that role. And it was a it's a good film. I just can't remember the name of it. But if you if you guys, if it comes to mind for, for anyone, let me know. They shot the whole thing in South Texas and most of it down in Austin. And um, I can't get Dr. T and the women out of my head, which was a terrible Richard Gere film they shot in Texas. But um, anyway, so yeah, that was a that was a big lesson is don't you're there for a reason don't be presumptuous don't don't do the casting for them let them make that decision nice so do you remember seeing yourself on the so-called the the big screen the first time like yeah you know most films that like um major films that i've been in i was in uh, universal soldier with and um, i have a little bitty small little bit part in that but um character driven stuff was more on the independent film side. And so I would see it and it was w wicked cool. But I also realized that in this, in this particular theater in this city, whether it was Austin or Dallas or, or San Antonio or wherever it may have been that 
it, it was an isolated screening. And so is this, is anybody else going to see this on screen where it wasn't just a, a flash of me or a quick one line or something. It was actually like a character that I had developed. Uh -huh. And so, so, so yeah, that's neat, but it's, it was bittersweet. Cause you're like, God, I want, I want the world to see this film. Is it, is it going to get that kind of distribution? That makes sense. And, yeah. So, so that was a, but yeah. So, but you know, it's funny now in, in, in this day and age with, you know, HD TVs and, and how big our screens are and everything. Yeah. Like I, I do these straight to DVD family movies. Um, in fact, I think we're going to shoot another one next year. They call it adventures of Bailey, the, yeah. lost, the lost puppy and the Christmas hero and a night in Cowtown, or whatever yep. the third one's called. I put those on the TV in the living room. I'm like, this is just cool. This period. looks incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just because, you know, because of by virtue of technology, it just, right. Who needs a movie theater? No one likes to go to the movies anymore anyway. Unless it's yeah. a Star Wars movie. <laughs> True. <laughs> unless it's IMAX 3D. Who gives a shit? <laughs> um, so well, we got to talk about Super Superman Returns. Like, if you don't know Rick, you don't know, like, he read for, and it sounds like got pretty far in the process of being Clark Kent slash Superman and Brian Singer, Superman Returns. Let's talk about how how did you become aware of that project, and th did your agent, like, hey, man, you should go, like, try to test out for this. They're, they're, they're looking for actors and to play this part. Yeah, so um, I had a feeling this would probably be discussed just because I sent Justin a link to one of the auditions that I actually physically have, which is a treat. That's not something you normally have. but um, And so I was trying to think of the exact timeline, and it's kind of muddled in my head because it was such a roller coaster for me. I don't know how close I got. I, I will say this. My agent thinks that I was down to at least at like last 80 or 100. And on the service, it's like, oh, that sucks. But then I think about it going, how many people did they – were they really looking at it and read for this hundreds, maybe even thousands because they had, they had casting offices set up all over the world looking for actors for this. And the reason that we think that it got that close is just because I kept getting called back for, you know, each time there was like a pass off because there were a variety of different directors that were attached to it. Some of which I don't ever really think really hit them, hit um, any news outlets. It was just so-and-so's supposed to direct and this is the script that he's going to do. And you would get sides, and you're like, "This thing's terrible." <laughs> I mean, it's, if, you get, if you guys get a chance, you see the audition. I said, "Justin, that's one of the examples. It's just like a bad script." Clark and Lois are were like in college together at a fraternity party or something. That's it was weird, met. just go goofy stuff. But but each time, like months and months would go by, and I'm like, "Yeah, they're not, gonna, you know, they're not interested in me." And then I would get a call saying, "Hey." Warner Brothers wants to see you read again for Clark Kent Superman. I'm like, what? Who's directing this? Is it the same guy, the same script? No, 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 it's not. It's actually the past hands. So this thing went through a, a lot of, it wasn't just like the Kevin Smith thing and then eventually Brian Singer. There were a lot of people that had their hands on this and Warner Brothers really didn't know. I mean, it's pretty clear. I'm not breaking any news here. They didn't know what direction they wanted to go in. And then I'll never forget, I think I read for it, six times maybe seven seven times god it might have even been more than that i just I'm, I'm going through my head going that time that time that time that, you know what i'm saying that's how i'm trying to remember it but it, it might have been 10 it just was so it was just wild um because you're reading for i mean oh my god first of all that is a that's a life-changing thing to get cast in a, in a film like that and secondly it's superman and you're a comic book guy and you're going this is nuts if this was to happen like what could be better to launch a career than to play a DC character on film, a beloved one, and, uh, and one that you love? It was just a trip. And I'll never forget the day they announced Brandon Routh is casting, and my girlfriend that I lived with um, at the time, who incidentally is my wife upstairs rocking her two-year-old, uh, 13, 14 <laughs> years later, she, uh, she called me. She was online. She said, hey, baby, come here. And I was in the kitchen, and I came into her like our living area and apartment and she had the computer pulled up and his, his picture, his headshot was up. And then it had this little picture next to his black and white headshot. These were still black and white headshot days, by the way. Um, and it was like a picture of him from some Halloween party two or three years prior to his audition. And he was, he dressed as Clark Kent Superman for this party. And that was just sort of a throwback thing. And I remember looking at him going, this guy looks like Chris Reeve. What are, is that what they were going for? 
I need a drink. Let's get out of here. This sucks. <laughs> because you don't think you don't think you're going to get it, right? And you know, but when you start reading that much and they keep asking for you and they keep asking for you, hey, have them do this, have them change that. And there were a couple of times that actually read more than once within like a, a week for the same. So I'm kind of almost counting that as one audition, but I really shouldn't. Those are probably two or three sub auditions and not even necessarily callbacks. Like we want him to read for different sides. And then those once they called me in and I read for a different character and it was just an original character for, um, for the, um, for the script that was in place at that time. And it was a daily planet employee, just sort of this miscellaneous guy. I thought, okay, I'll oh, shit, I'll take it. I'll be on set. And then like after that, I got called up. No, no, we're going to have him read for, for Clark Kinnigan. I'm like, okay, this is, this is cool. They, they moved me to this lower role and then decided, nah, let's put him back in the, in the, in the, in the mix. So there was one other person that I was kind of keeping up with online. Did you guys ever see the, um, it's the it's like the I don't I don't remember if it was student made it was fan made I know that but it was like a world's greatest um, it, it was Batman and Superman and it was a commercial like a like a faux trailer for a film probably in like two thousand one you guys know what I'm talking about it has Lex Luthor in it it's a it's a bodybuilding guy that was that was famous for doing bodybuilding stuff and he was reading for Clark Kent. He was playing Clark Kent Superman in that. Does anybody have any idea what I'm talking I can't about? Say I've seen that. I don't think no. I've seen that either. No, it's, it's, it's actually really well done. I think the same guys did Grayson also, which was a faux trailer for a proposed movie about Robin and, and post Batman's death, same group. So highly recommend YouTubing those. They're, they're phenomenal. Well, anyway, that guy, whatever his name is, he was, he was getting really close as well. And so he and I were kind of pinging each other online going, uh, so when did you read again? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, like, well, this is crazy. And here I am kind of the thinner guy. And then this dude looks like Superman just walked off the pages of the comic book. I'm like, what are they, what are they looking for? And then they cast a Chris Reeve lookalike, which ultimately made sense because as we all know, Brian Singer's uh, film was basically a love letter to Richard Donner's original. What, what, uh, what were you trying to bring differently or were you trying to emulate Chris Reeve? Were you trying to do something different with the role of Clark Kent su Superman? It's hard to remember my my process on that because the, the thing that stands out to me the most is I didn't want to copy Chris Reeve. Who can do that anyway? I, I didn't want my, you know, I, I tried to make my Clark more grounded but I'm, I'm even in that audition that I, sh I sent to Justin, I can see that I'm just kind of inadvertently doing some Chris Reeve stuff with the glasses and everything. I mean, yes, Superman adjusts his glasses, but that's it was even just the way I did it was very specifically Chris Reeve because you know you grow up with him and he's your Superman Clark Kent. It's like you, how do you not? <laughs> it's almost it's weird to think about not doing anything like him. But I just remember thinking I want to make him more grounded and not quite such like a stumbling goofy guy. But you know, definitely tap into those insecurities and um, and his his uh, dare I say obsession with Lois. Superman was the real bitch of the bunch. That was I enjoy I enjoyed my Clark auditions, and I think that those are the things that kept me in the loop. Um, there were there were a couple I wish I had on tape, other than the one I I have because I just felt like I walked out going home run oh my god i wish that was on 35 millimeter with a score behind me i'd win an oscar kind of thing right <laughs> and then um but superman was hard um i i, I ultimately didn't get cast because i probably I, if i could be a fly on the wall i bet they were like god this clark is so great his superman is just not quite working and uh that's probably what happened and because he's so how do you play him it's how do you play superman and that's why I'm, I defend Henry Cavill. People, and you gentlemen may agree or disagree with this, um, oh, he's kind of stiff. His, super, his, his Superman is very wooden. I'm like, is it? I don't, I just, to me, I know how hard, just, just, just in that process I went through all those years ago, it's, it's just hard to play him. And I think Cavill just puts that suit on and I, he talks and I'm like, that's Superman. That's, that's Superman. Like, that's him. And when Brandon Routh did it, Nothing against him. He seems like a really great guy, by the way, and he's doing great work um, as Adam. But uh, his Superman was directorial, was try to be Clark Kent, or I'm sorry, try to be Chris Reeve. And so I looked at him and I didn't look, I didn't see him and go, Superman. I saw him and go, a guy trying to be Chris Reeve. And um, 
and maybe that's obviously what Brian Singer was looking for, but how do you play Superman? How do you, as an actor, how do you even approach that? He's the most powerful being in the universe, and yet he's also a human being. And it just, uh, it's kind of a mind F-U-C-K to even try to tap into that. Did you ever get to put on the Superman suit or like a makeshift suit? No, I, here was the deal. There was at one point, my agent was like, well, we're about to put you on a plane. And um, I was going, I guess, to Burbank. And uh, at that point, I was going to be in an actual full-blown suit. But that trip was canceled. It was postponed. And then weeks later, Brandon Routh was announced. So that's why we think that that's where she gets, where I probably was in the process. They were down to like the final 100. And they were going to start putting people in, in costumes. Um I guess Brian Singer just really liked Brandon Ralph and just kind of stepped in and said, no, this is my guy. They, they, they apparently met at a coffee shop at one point during that time period of my trip being planned to it being postponed slash canceled. And he just, he walked out going, nope, this is him. This is my dude. Full stop. So, but what I would put on is when I read, they wanted suit glasses for Clark and they wanted my hair different for Superman. And then Sometimes I was in a Superman T-shirt, and then they sent me this weird, like that thing I'm wearing in that audition. That was something that they sent my agent, and um, it was like I just remember it being like real. It was like wool, it was hot and sticky, and I was like, it looked like a um, an iron-on, like a you know, just one of those 1980s iron-ons that you would have, <laughs> like Duke's Hazard, you know. Whatever. <laughs> that's all. That's all that was, and I was like, okay. And I was like, is this the costume? Is he, is he going to have a cape? Is it going to be the purple and blue? You know, kind of deal. <laughs> uh, did you ever get to read with uh, any other like actors or actresses? Like maybe like a Lois. Did you, did you ever read like with like another actress like Lois Lane to see if you had like chemistry? Did it get that far in the process or anything? No, no, it didn't. And that was that was also part of what was supposed to happen on that trip. That and I knew that Kate Bosworth was in that mix. And I remember going, oh sweet, I would, hopefully I'll get paired up with her and do a screen test um but uh i think that if i would have been on that plane if if if, if brian singer didn't have coffee that day with brandon ralph i was this this thing was about to be really amped up or the next the next thing is i was going to be in a room with them in a costume doing screen tests and it just didn't quite get that far um because he found his guy okay so we got to start talking about some batman so we're going to take a little detour uh you're a huge Batman fan, so we're going to do, like, the usual Shailen on Batman, like, what we do when we have, like, uh, comic guests or anything. So when you, when did you first become aware of the character of Batman? Was it the 66 TV show? Was it a comic book? Was it the 89 version of Batman? Okay, so I was born in 1975, and about the time I was probably four, so we're still in the 70s here, um, I fell in love with the TV show. And then I remember it getting in like heavy syndication even after that, going in like the 80s. And forgive me if my time frame is off. If you Google and say, well, actually, it started in 80. And, and <laughs> if it did, I apologize. I was in that time period of four or five years old. And I was obsessed with the show. God, just obsessed. I remember I would also come home from school and it would come on, I think, at like at four. And so I'd get, I would just get all situated for it. And then I would sit there and anticipate whether or not Batgirl was in the episode or not. Because if you remember in the opening credits, she would swing in yep. after her. Yeah. Right. And if she wasn't, she didn't swing in, she wasn't in that episode. And right. so I just remember that too. I always liked the ones with her in it um, for obvious reasons. I mean, Von Craig. <laughs> <laughs> she yeah. Was a sexy, and, and she was, was a sexy that mama. Was good. That was good. So then, then one day I remember, I think the very first comic book I picked up was, um, um, Demon Daughter, um, is that it? It's it was in the seventies. It's it's basically Roz and, and Talia, and it's it was one of those comics that I picked up, and I'm thinking it was really graphic. Uh, Robin wasn't in it much at all, and it was sort of that turning point, I guess, from the TV show into the seventies, and and DC really wanted to establish Batman as a more serious character. And I remember going, "What is this all about? This isn't the TV show." Right. And that was the moment when I realized, oh, gosh, there's this whole other world of Batman that I can fall in love with. And I, I look at Batman. It's it's interesting, my my personal relationship with him, because he is my like ultimate imaginary friend. But um, especially from a cinematic standpoint and even a lot of cases in comics, 
I, I grew up with him. You know, does that make sense? Like yeah. by the time Batman 89 rolled out, I was right perfect age of maturity for that film. And that's just, and then by the time the Nolan trilogy came out, I was at that age where I was yearning for a serious, in, in dare I say, origin story, especially after the Joe Schumacher films. And it just, that's just how, and then it, even with Batman v Superman, I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of a cynical asshole these days myself. Perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. This is, this is, this Batman. But, um, and I feel like the comics were, were that way as well. I, I, I really got into the comics in the seventies. And then, and then I think around sixth grade, seventh grade, what year was that? And I read The Dark Knight Returns, and then that changed everything. Um, so it was kind of it, it was the TV show, and then it was the '70s comics, and then from there it was just a combination of everything. Um, I, I never was really an animated series person. I love the original that came out right after. Batman Returns, which was, I guess, just the original animated series. I love that. I never really got invested in, in ones after that. I, I, I'd watch them and enjoy them. But I, I always kept up with the comics and um, obsessed with the character. And, and it, you know, I, I would be covered in Batman tattoos from head to toe if my wife would let me. And um, and obviously the films. Um, I love that That it's, it's an exciting time. You know, I'm a part of Batman on film, so it's obviously film-centric. And we were talking about it yesterday going, this is so freaking awesome for us because he's not going away anytime soon. We just got through a film. He's about to be back on screen in August. And then he's filming Justice League right now. And it's just, you know, you know, we can get into our opinions of these projects and everything. But just on the surface, knowing that all this stuff is is coming, it's thrilling for us Batman fans and then also us fans of, of cinema and then mixing those worlds together. It's just it's it's a kick-ass time to to be to be a dork. <laughs> that is. <laughs> I mean, Rogue One comes out this year. Suicide Squad. I mean, it is. Maybe it's, Rogue it's, One comes out. Maybe. Did you see, have you been catch, keeping up with the news on that? Okay, so I, I I've heard mixed reports on it. So I know they were doing some reshoots, but was it? Didn't that get debunked that it really wasn't anything to do with tone? They were just doing reshoots like any other film, or is that not correct? I'm pretty sure they were just the normal scheduled reshoots that almost every movie does. I don't know. Like yesterday, I heard that Tony Gilroy was like in charge of the project, and then like Gareth Edwards said that the like Gareth Edwards came out and said like pretty much said that they're gonna they're going a different dir- like direction that's gonna be better for the film but it sounds like he's not the main guy putting the final product together <laughs> you know not to get off on star wars although believe me i'm, I'm happy to <laughs> I, I, I so are we. but i am i'm concerned about one thing and it's overexposure and um it's it's exciting but at the same time i just kind of want them to i mean we're gonna get a star wars movie this year and next year that sounds awesome and i hope it is and it probably will be but at the same time, it can also start to, eh, you know, I just want them to to make sure that these projects are are um, being properly executed and they're not just putting too much stuff out. Does, does anybody agree with that? Does anybody feel that way at all? Yes. <laughs> We're so okay. used to having many years between projects. Now there's one every year. It might be a little overkill, but we'll see when we come to that. Fatigue. Sure. Hashtag fatigue. <laughs> That's it, fatigue. That thank you. That's the word I was scrambling for. And let's face it, it you know, if, if eight and nine do a billion plus, which they probably will, we know there's going to be a 10, 11, 12. Mm-hmm. So right, and um, I'm all for the standalone films. Look, I'm a really big advocate. Like, if you guys, any of you guys know me on Facebook or whatever, I'm I I will defend the prequels. I will certainly accept their flaws and recognize them, and they're not they're far from perfect. And they're the but I but I like them and I think that they do have a place in in in, in canon and in history, and I would personally love to see an Obi Wan, Ewan McGregor standalone. That's what I want. I don't I don't care about Han Solo as a fourteen year old. I think that's bunk. I want to see <laughs> I, I want to see Ewan McGregor play Obi Wan between three and four. That'd be awesome. And bring him back as a Force ghost. I'm all for that as well. That'd just, be an that awesome movie. Sweet. Yeah, that'd be so cool. Should... I mean, listen, you, the Force ghosts are established. Yeah, if, yeah. if we don't see Anakin's ghost, and, and let's face it, Hayden Christensen's ghost, Disney uses that as, as canon. It's in it's in brochures. It's in books. Um, I've got a couple at the house. And, the, and when you you see the last shot of Return of the Jedi, it's Hayden Christensen's ghost there. That's canon now. It's just official. So great. So bring him in. 
if, if he's if they're if they're if it's established that these force ghosts exist while all of a sudden would Luke not have Obi-Wan to talk to or Yoda um, and, and bring his dad in and let that kid have a well-written scene um, other than that one scene with Palpatine and Sith, <laughs> bring him in and with a really well-written scene and have a great father-son scene between him. Luke, I'm a big advocate for that. That'd be cool. Anyway, off that soapbox. <laughs> off the soapbox. So let, let's bring it back around to Batman. You mentioned yeah. the Dark Knight Returns. Would you say that is your favorite of all the comics or is there a particular run that you're a huge fan of? I think the Joker is the yeah. most badass villain ever and I still just I have an affinity towards the killing joke and I know it's 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 not um i'm not digging deep into the vault for that one and so but i i would just be lying if i didn't if i changed it to something more obscure and i think the reason that i love it so much i cannot wait for to see the film um and just love that mark hamill's back but anyway um but i i think it was just it, it just sort of encapsulates the the modern joker of just that psychotic son of a bitch that he is and i think that's why i love it so much because i just i i it will take i thought i was going to get fatigued with joker on film and then i saw like uh when i started seeing footage of jared leto i'm like oh this is awesome just 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 feed me keep it coming this is great i just don't get sick of him so there you have it. I'll, I'll send you a photo of i put i posted on the channel on batman twitter that will that will turn you on to to Jared Leto, it'll be it'll be awesome. Um, no, I, I I'm I'm sold. I, at first, I, like a lot of people, I was a little apprehensive. I'm now I'm sold. That's what I'm saying. When once I started seeing some some footage, I was like, okay, I'm sold. I, I'm good. I I didn't really care for a cinematic Joker this close to Heath Ledger, but uh, I'm I'm ready and I'm excited. Do you have a favorite Batman film? Batman Begins. It's. And I can go kind of back and forth on that. I I love. I'll walk through all of them just briefly here, and then if you guys want to ask me specific questions, I'm very happy to answer them. But Batman '89, I still love, and it was such a groundbreaking film. When people don't think about it that way anymore because of the world that we live in, but in 1989, just think about how monumental that that movie was. It was yeah. truly groundbreaking. There wasn't anything like that before it. I mean, we had the Chris Reeve Superman films that just ran their course with that. Uh, Last one in '87, Superman four, and I don't really consider that a film. I don't think it was shot on film, was it? Was it I don't think so. <laughs> no, it was. Like it was Canon. Canon did it. I believe. Some kind of camcorder. I don't know. <laughs> uh, poor guy. But um, but I still, I still, I still, I still love Batman '89 and it holds up. I can I I cannot stand Batman Returns. Uh, I think that's not a Batman film. I think it's a Tim Burton film with Batman characters in it. Right. Um, yeah. Although. There are some moments in it I love, particularly between Bruce and Selena when they're dancing and then they realize who one another are. That scene, I wish that scene represented more of the film because that's a badass scene. The Joe Schumacher films are what they are. They're, you know, Batman Forever was watchable. Batman and Robin's just silly. Then you get into the Nolan trilogy. And like I said, I, I really just had this desire for an origin story. And um, I just think he hit it out of the park. I love every scene in that film and I, all the nuances that that we didn't get with Batman on film before. Just things like him crouching. Um, and I, and it's, it's a, it may sound like a small thing to some people, but that scene where he's crouched and, and Gordon comes out of his house and, he, and Batman just looks at him and says, storm's coming. That moment, I was like, oh, my God, what that is so perfect. Like, I haven't seen that on film before. Um, and even when he flies in and crouches down and at the very towards the end to um, to Raw. So I, I, I love it. I love the acting. And I love the cinematography. I love the story. I love that it's not necessarily linear. I love the flashback stuff with his dad. I love when he's doused by Scarecrow and he's all tripping and bats are coming out of Scarecrow's mask. And just it's just everything about it. I love. Yeah, what about you guys? Like how, what, what, just going around the panel, who's. Just favorite Batman film. What, what is that? Uh, mine's still. I'd say Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah. It's, tough. it's just it is tough, but just the performances alone in that film alone did it for me. Like, it, well, I think yeah. the reason like I enjoy the Dark Knight so much is I can show like people who hate this right this sort of thing like 
like my dad, he doesn't like Star Wars, never saw it, doesn't like Lord of the Rings, never saw that. But I can be like, hey, do you want to watch The Dark Knight? He's like, yeah, that's really good. Like, I can show him that, and, like, we can have that special bond, like, because he's not a movie guy whatsoever. I don't know where I get the movie genes, like, where I love it, but <laughs> it's not from him. So You're being, adopted. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> uh, pretty much, like, The Dark Knight is, like, I can show, like, and it's, it's not just, it's, got enough of the comic booky stuff but it's it's so visually it's like a michael mann film like the bank he- yeah it's like the the bank heist like the action sequence when they roll where they flip the truck like there's not and the movie's so fast it's still fast like i remember watching it in 2008 and like i'm like wow that was two and a half hours it yeah felt like an hour yeah, it did where did time go so it, it's 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 a toss-up for me i that's why i pause when you ask because the dark knight is probably as filmmaking as a superior film over Batman Begins. But Batman Begins still gave me that perfect origin story that I wanted. And my favorite scene in Begins is the final scene with he and Gordon on the rooftop. And then you think about the Dark Knight and then you juxtapose the film with that scene. It's perfect. It's like I was trying to picture what the sequel would be like and what Joker would be like. I couldn't quite get my hand because you're looking at that card going, okay, this is going to be something unique. Just, just by looking at the card, this is this isn't going to be, you know, flower on the, you know, and you know, this is going to be something more decadent. I don't know. I, I couldn't quite find the right words. And then right. that very first shot of Ledger that we that was released, and he's not even smiling, and he looks like he's a just a serial killer. Remember right. that guy? He's just, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just you don't even see his hair. I was like, oh shit, there it is. Right. That's my dad's. That's it. That's it's perfect. I don't even care what his hair looks like. He'd be bald for like. (laughs) (laughs) With like everything that surrounded like the Dark Knight, like the viral marketing, like they don't do that stuff anymore. Like they kind of, but like sending out like cakes and everything and getting calls from uh, like weird numbers at late at night, like the viral marketing, the why so serious viral marketing. And they had the, I believe in Harvey Dent stuff like that. Like they don't do stuff like that much anymore. And they didn't do that much before then either. Like they tried it a few times after the Dark Knight, but it's never really like no one's ever been able to capture the magic, you know, of that film. It was like almost a moment in time where, like, we're gonna be talking about this that film and like at the lead up to it, like to our grandchildren. Yeah, the stars were just aligned perfect for that right. to go the way it did. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a it's a pretty perfect movie. Um, and see, for me. This, this is where conversations can get uh, pleasantly contentious. So that's, a, you know, it sounds like an oxymoron, but I love having friendly debates on Dark Knight Rises. I personally love it. One of the reasons that I walked away loving it is because I was like, this was exactly what Nolan had to do. He was not going to top the Dark Knight to make it very different in tone and, and everything. And, and, you know, some people don't have, don't care for it as much or, or don't like it at all. And I, and I respect and understand that. But for, for me, Rises was the perfect movie to follow The Dark Knight because there's no way that he was going to top that film. Let's just let's 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 tell a story and bring it full circle and then tie all this in. Let's let's put the Nolan films in like this this seal, you know, this Ziploc bag where no one can open it. It's just it's closed, it's done. And so anyway, I like Rises a lot. It's the my least favorite out of the three, but in a lot of ways. I look at th- the three of them as just one long, long epic movie, yeah. story, right? That's just so. That's I'm, that's that's my view. Um, I'm just glad they fixed the autopilot, man. <laughs> <laughs> look, the, the autopilot was it was pretty obvious. <laughs> well, I, my I, question, I will, I will, I will give. I, I I've always given that film like a strong B plus or like a flimsy A minus, and um, the autopilot thing is one of the reasons I can't just quite push it over the edge for an A, <laughs> strong A, but uh, I still love it. And, and like, and all the cops going, in, you know, underground. Yeah, okay. let's send every cop we have underground. <laughs> and, that's, and that's kind of the deal with, with Nolan, is once you accept the universe that he established, the reality that he established for us that we all believed in, and then to have some... I, I guess what I'm trying to say, if, if any of those two things, the auto, maybe not the autopilot, but the cops going underground, if that wasn't a Tim Burton Batman film, we wouldn't give a sh- We wouldn't even have cared. It would. Right. It would have. Fair. You know what I'm saying? It would have been fine. Fair. It would have been better than a bunch of penguins with. And right, it just in in the Joe Schumacher films, he could have, he could do anything because the sky was the limit with his silliness. But in the Nolan universe, 
that's why that is is um, problematic, if you will, because like, look, man, we accept that this is the 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 world that we inhabit, and no no police station, no police force in the country would send all their officers <laughs> underground like that. They just wouldn't do it. And so that's 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 kind of the double edged sword right. in presenting that universe is that he has to be consistent. Right. I mean, I'm still waiting for them to bring charges on Alfred for burning down forests. Like, come on. Like, the the environmental world that we live in, if you're just going to go down burning forest downs for no reason, like, come on. Like, where's where's the EPA or, like, you the UN, to, you know, to take care of that? <laughs> well, I mean, he, he was, he, I think he did it during the Reagan presidency. He wasn't <laughs> reinforcing anything. That just all gets exonerated. <laughs> Don't get me started, politics. <laughs> That's why he's so willing to go under... Underground, hide the Batman. <laughs> that's a, that's where everybody's like, like shit. Turn it down. Who cares about the EPA? Who cares about AIDS? <laughs> I'm kidding. That's terrible. Not, not the not the forum for this. You guys can feel free to guess that. Um, <laughs> but uh, where where were we? Uh, let's let's talk. So, uh, yeah. So 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 rises. But my favorite scene out of all three films, out of the entire trilogy, is in Rises, and it's um, when he crawls out and he escapes from the pit. Um, I just I love it. I love, I just love it. And it just, it, to me, it, it like, it encapsulates Christian Bell's Bruce Wayne. Everything that he's doing, everything that he's fought for, everything that he's been willing to sacrifice to save his city, it's all captured in that moment of him literally risking his life to get out because if he, if he fell and he died, so be it. He couldn't save his city anyway. And that's, that's why this finite Batman story it resonates with me because and a lot of people have problems with it. Like, oh, it makes his world so small and he didn't continue on and Batman would never retire. I'm like, yeah, but this Batman's real. And just like a professional athlete, he can't do this forever. And his ultimate goal was to save his city and he would die doing it. And that's why that scene is so perfect. And that's also why he passes off the symbol to quote unquote Robin. So Batman doesn't ever retire. It just, it's just a different person donning the mask. And that also is paying homage to the symbolism of Batman not, not ending. It doesn't necessarily have to be Bruce Wayne, but Batman will always be there. And that's cool. So that's the thing about the Nolan films. Like everything's there. It's all consistent. Bane has venom. Uh, Ra's al Ghul is immortal, just in your dreams. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, but, but it's all there. And that's what I love about those films is that if you really know the comics, and this is just my opinion, and I'm not saying that if you really love the comics that you have to love those films. I'm not implying that, but I'm just, I am just saying that if you do love the comics, that you can find a way to 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 find all these little things that might have frustrated you on the surface. But if you dig deep, it's like, oh, it's all there. It's just it's just subtle. Anyway, that was the brilliance of the Nolan films to me was uh, the nuance. Okay, I know you only got a few minutes left, but we, we, we'd be stupid not to talk about post-BBS. Now, I know me and you have talked privately about like some of the things going on, but like since you kind of like have a foot in Hollywood and everything, like you can ha like have like more of a like inside baseball kind of thing. Like I have a theory that uh, Zack Snyder really isn't directing Justice League. Like we haven't like he hasn't done it. Like there's been no like press really the saying like yes filming has begun i mean we know it's you know filming but there really hasn't been anything like official i guess you could say um i really feel like he's just kind of like a figurehead like if they announce like zack snyder has been fired on justice league like everyone would go ape shit on twitter on facebook i really think that this is more of like ben affleck's film now like what do you think I think this film is directed by Zach Affleck. <laughs> nice. That's, that's, what I, that's, that's what I think. And, and I talked about this. And let me just say this too. I have more inside information now with Batman than I've, uh, I could ever have uh, being an actor or, or some connections. I'm, I still may or may not have in Hollywood. Uh, Jet, the my boss over Batman on film, and I, and I can't go public with anything I know or even some of these names because I'm sworn to secrecy on it. But he's you know he's got some connections, with some really high profile people. And I, I, I get probably 5% of what he gets, then he, he'll throw me a nugget, and uh, he knows to trust me with it. And there's some pretty cool stuff that I would love to share that I just can't from very, very reliable sources. I'll just say this. I think that, um, I think that it's pretty obvious 
that Zack Snyder is director in name only on this film. I think he'll actually be the director, but I don't think it's it's not his film. I think I think that's been taken from him, and I don't think we'll see him again after this. I think he's done. Yeah, I think. I mean, as far as the DCU, I mean, I I just I just can't imagine in a, a post BVS world um, where it just got eviscerated. Like the like we have we enjoy parts. I think everyone enjoys parts of the movie, but it's unevenness, especially when you have an extra year to make this film and put it together. Like that's your final product. Now, obviously, we saw the the ultimate trailer, which looks promising, but it's still like people's appetite for. I feel like people's appetite for it is gone sour, I guess that would be the best word for a Justice League. There's no really excitement for it. Like everyone's talking about Suicide Squad, but when we're we're gonna get a Justice League movie and no one's talking about it. It's very strange. I agree. They're not. It might I've said this that Suicide Squad really to me, I mean and the proof will be obviously in the final product once we see it, but it's a Batman film. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I right. mean every let's think about all the characters that are uh, Harley Quinn, the Joker, Killer Croc, you know, you know, go down the list. Batman himself is in it. I, I, I look at Suicide Squad as basically a glorified Batman film. Um, so if this film works, I think that will help the excitement of going forward with the universe. And then also I think it, all, it depends on their marketing for Justice League. I, I don't want it to be too marvel-y or anything, but it, it, needs to, it needs to be – like you remember in The Dark Knight, uh, when they were promoting that film, talking about the Dark Knight, uh, the second film, yeah, it was just the commercials were they, were they were fun, even for that dark, brooding film. They showed the scenes like, um, you know, it's uh, I'm not, I'm not gonna take the the bat pods, uh, Alfred's in the middle of the day, I'm gonna take the Lamborghini, and then then Alfred's like, oh, yeah, much more subtle. It's just that moment, like it, it, you're, you're laughing in these 30 second spots. There need there has to be some humor, and there has to be some some heart in the way they're promoting this, and that's in conjunction with Suicide Squad working. Because they they have an uphill battle, and um, it is uh, I mean there are people uh, and I don't know this from inside information I'm just speculating there are people that are scrambling probably at Burbank just wishing they could just start over and just wipe it all away and and start from scratch because this is a hard thing because now they have to they have to create excitement around this pre-existing universe that. The two films that have launched it, Man of Steel and BBS, have both been contentious with audiences. Now, I, I just happen to like both of them, and I really like Man of Steel, and I like BBS, it's, but it's far from perfect, and it did not do its job. It doesn't really – who gives a damn what Rick Shue thinks about it? The masses just rejected it, and that's what matters. Yes, I think it was underappreciated, but it doesn't matter what I think. It just – who cares? Um, so I don't, know, I don't know what the hell they're going to do. It is – it is tricky and man if suicide squad is not well received guys yeah what what happens then and that's a that's not rhetorical that's an that's a question for all of you guys what do you think i mean what what the hell happens i find it hard i find it like hard to see that it's not gonna do well but in that situation that it doesn't do well i think everything and that they've tried to establish and are establishing in the dceu is just gonna fall to pieces and i think it'll slowly kind of just die out honestly i don't know i mean slowly i mean not like it's not going to be like an instant the floor drops out no more it's done but i don't think that they're gonna have that following and that support to keep this going if suicide squad isn't well received well they kind of like my my issue not even if suicide's lukewarm, like my, I'm not even worried about that. I'm worried. How are you bringing back Superman? You just like you didn't even have him for a full two or three films. Like you kill him at the end. How are you bringing him back in Justice League? Like where are you gonna tell? How are you gonna spend time telling that story? Like you could have gone like cool way and telling the story of like a Man of Steel too. Bring back Eradicator. Yep. Bring back Cyborg Superman. You know, bring in these all, all to, like Steel. Like you could do like a story like that, but where? You wrote yourself like the the writers wrote themselves right into a corner. Like how how are they going to fix that? I don't know how they can. Like it's just I'm more I'm not so much worried about Suicide Squad. I, I believe in David Ayer. Um, I just after watching Fury, I watched Fury again the other night. I was like, man, I just don't see a. It's a great what, movie. I just don't see him dropping the ball 
like this. Like just even when I watched him at uh, the Comic Con last year, when he came in and was like the MC of like the DC Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Like he was like his confidence just in his film. I won't say like BVS, but his confidence in what he's working with and stuff going on. Like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna follow his lead until Jeff Johns and Berg are fully entrusted with everything because anything that happens and I don't, I don't really conceived Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman being the Johns Berg era of films, I, I think Justice League and On will be his. So anything that happens with those two films, I'm just going to like, okay, that wasn't his. Like he comes in after the fact. So I don't but, know. But with, but respectfully, that's you and I know that, but the right. general audience doesn't say, oh, that's not a Jeff Johns deal or whatever. They're, they're not privy to who's directing or who's producing. I think for because it's not it's not about us. I mean, right. let's face it, guys. We're all we're all kind of cut out of the same cloth, and we we know our shit, and we know who what, what the significance of who's directing, who's writing, all all the you know the, the working moving parts. But um, the general audiences don't. They just go to the the film, the the, the cinema, and they, the film either works or it doesn't. And and I'm just afraid if Suicide Squad doesn't work, then when Justice League comes around, then no one there's nothing for them to give a shit about because. Three films now that were tied into this that were leading to it didn't work. Now, again, to I think it was Justin and forgive me, it was somebody else. To their point, if if it doesn't work, they they're not going to just scrap it. They're I guess they're in the middle of production right now. But I mean, like somebody alluded to earlier, we we're not seeing any set photos or anything. It's very creepy. But um, they're not going to just axe it. They're not going to scrape it. But it, it's just one more of those things that just it's that slow drip of just bringing down this extended universe. Um, because then what happens, Justice League opens up and it's not even number one at the box office. It's opening weekend for something outrageously oh. crazy. I, I mean, I doubt oh, that man. would happen, but you, <laughs> you know, it's just something where it just drops like a, more of a rock than BBS did. And you're going, oh my gosh, this thing is going to do like 600,000 worldwide. Wow. That's terrible. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't, I just don't know what they do at that point. It's, I mean, it's. It's tricky. What do you uh, think they should do? What if let's say let's worst case scenario, Suicide Squad doesn't work. Um, Wonder Woman, like she, like obviously people are gonna go see it because it's gonna be the first female superhero character. What do you think? Where, where does this? Where does it go to? Where does it? Where does it need to go? Where does it? What happens? God, it makes my head explode even trying to get around having <laughs> that responsibility to answer that question. <laughs> I, I am I'm I'm a loss for words on that because they're not going to not release Justice League, but I will say I'll I'll answer it like this: Justice League is getting released regardless. If it doesn't just come out and blow people's minds and break box office records and just everything that it accomplishes supersedes the the garbage that led up to it, and I say that from a massive standpoint, I don't think these films are garbage by any means, but. Obviously, the masses have rejected them. I mean, look, BBS is what twenty seven percent of Rotten Tomatoes. That's atrocious. But if it comes out and just sort of like wipes all that away, then great. Then they move forward. If it even falls short of that, then guess what? It's they they scrape it, and then somebody reboots it all down the road. Um, I guess I don't I don't see how they could justify continuing to release these films with these characters that just no one gives a damn about. But you know, there's a lot of exciting things. You know. The cool thing is Gal Gal Gadot. I believe that's how she properly pronounces yeah, it. Yep, she corrected which, all which of it. Which it rhymes with hot, so that's like yeah. <laughs> good. Nice. Uh, anyway, <laughs> she, she is she's just amazing. Stunning. Anyway, so um, I think you know people are genuinely excited about her. They loved her in the film. They liked Ben Affleck in the film. I did too. I wasn't really thrilled about him being like an executioner, but that's a whole different conversation. But I still really lo I love him and um and his and, and Alfred. Great stuff. So there's a lot of things to be excited about. So Batflick, Wonder Woman. So they're not they're not done yet, you know. But they 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 certainly are not where they wanted to be. Now they're they're playing like defense and not offense, and that that sucks. That yeah, sucks. I agree. So I think other than B O F, where can we find you on the internet highway, Mister Rick Shue? Yeah, well, let me just say this. Uh, 
Nope, I, can't I, do I, it. I, 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 I feel like I was way under like qualified to come on and be a guest like this, but it was, it was a freaking honor, and thank you guys so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and that's the God's honest truth. Oh, I uh, totally Shirek, disagree. S-H-E-W-R-I-C-K. That's my Twitter handle. If you like politics, you can go to Left Shoe Politics, but if you don't, just stay away. Um, <laughs> and then I even have my little – I just launched my little sub-site called BOF Shoes on Facebook. I don't even have yep. 100 followers yet. I'm just trying to get it going. And um, trying to make it original where I'm not just sharing stuff from BOF, but but writing my own things. And it's going to kind of take on a world of its own. So I'm just now getting it rolling. So like me over there so I can get some traction on it. I'd appreciate it. And um, find me on Batman on Film. I awesome. definitely like that page for sure. And I totally disagree. You're totally qualified to come on the show. Yeah, we'll have you on again for sure as long as you want to come on. Oh, I'd love it. I just, that's, I mean, I, I, no, I'm a qualified panelist. I just don't feel like I was a guy to be highlighted, but look, it was fun and I appreciate it. It was a, it was a real treat.